0: Good morning. I'm Joe Collins and we are continuing our series following Jesus through the pages of Mark. You know our mission as a church is to love and live like Jesus. My goal as a minister is what we call spiritual formation. That's the idea of helping Christ be developed in me and in you. And that's what we as ministers are really trying to accomplish here. You know last uh, week we talked about We we saw that Jesus cared not only for, that, that Jesus cared for the worst of us. And that's good news because it means he cares for the rest of us. Today we're going to talk about change, not remaining the same. So there was this very, very intelligent man. He was a genius. But he knew he was a genius, so that made him pompous. And arrogant. And uh, he was out in the country and he was having breakfast at a cafe and he was observing people in this small town go back and forth and do their thing. And all he could think of was how much smarter he is than the rest of these people. And uh, as he sat there uh, enjoying his own intelligence in comparison to everyone else's, he decided that he would prove to himself that he was smarter than everyone else in this little town. And so the first Country boy that walked by, he grabbed and he said, Hey, listen, I want to play a little game with you. I have a little, little challenge for you. And the country boy said, Well, okay. And he said, I want to uh, play a little game. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a riddle, and if you cannot solve the riddle, you have to pay me $5. Then afterwards, you're going to tell me a riddle, and if I cannot solve the riddle, I'm going to pay you $500. You know, he just, he was full of himself. He really thought he was the bee's knees, that he just, he could outsmart anybody in this little village. So uh, they said, okay, the country bumpkin thought about it for a minute, and he said, well, sure, let's do it. And so the uh, smart man goes, okay, well, here's my riddle. What is black and white and red all over? (laughs) Well, the, the country boy thought for a minute and took his hat off and rubbed his head and after a while, he said, dang it, I don't know, and he took out his wallet, and he handed the genius five bucks, and the genius said, it's the newspaper, and he went, oh, so there was a pause, and then the, the bumpkin said, well, is it my turn, and, and the genius said, well, yeah, give me your riddle, and he said, okay, and he thought for a minute, and he said, what stands on two legs, but sleeps on three, well, the genius was a bit shocked, because he didn't have an answer. So he kind of paced, and he, he thought, and he thought, and he tried to go through all his memory and, and everything he could think of, and finally, he didn't have an answer. So he said to the bumpkin, I, I don't know. And he took out his wallet, and he handed him $500. And then there was this big pause, as they stared, and they kind of looked at each other, and finally the genius said, What's the answer to the riddle? And the bumpkin said, dang it. Took out his wallet and handed him $5. (laughs) You know, sometimes, we think we're smarter than we really are. And we always need to keep learning. And it's always true. It's especially true when it comes to learning the way of Jesus Christ. Let's pray and we're going to read Mark chapter 8. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us together. Please speak through us through your word today and help us to be inspired and to be learners today. Never settle, but learn, because that's how we grow. That's how we change. Open our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read Mark chapter 8. Now, uh we've been, we've been going through our series in Mark, and as we, we said before, I'm going through it sort of location by location, so sometimes we have long passages, sometimes we have short passages, because we're just doing snippets of Jesus' life based on location, where he was. So you guys know, this is going to take us a long time. Eventually we'll get to the end of Mark, but we've been doing this, or I've been doing this for more than a year now, and we probably have another year to go, but to keep it fresh, I like to take breaks. So today will be kind of an ending point. We'll kind of end, and then we're going to take a break. Next Sunday, we've got Easter. That's going to be great. Come back, bring friends, bring family. We've got two services. And then Gio's going to go on to a, a lengthy series of his own starting the week after, and that's going to be awesome. And then eventually, we'll make my way back into the rotation, and we'll pick it up. But just so you know, we're not going to just always do this every Sunday. There is, I believe, a need for breaks from time to time. Guest speakers, other ministers that come up and uh, say what they got to say. but So today is kind of, a, kind of an ending point. And so I'm going to do my best to try to leave you with an impression. Because I want this to sit with you even after we're gone. And, even, and, even, and for the next several weeks, even, at, even though I'm not necessarily speaking, I want you to have this, this message and this idea left in your consciousness. Amen? So I may do a little weird, goofy things up here. But it's all purposeful to make, make an impression, to leave you with an impression. So verse 14, it says, But the disciples had, had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out! Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. So we, uh, we know that Jesus is up in Galilee. That's on the north part of our map of Palestine there, up around the Sea of Galilee. But we do have a more blown-up version and you may note, you may remember from last Sunday, Jesus was on the far right of the Sea of Galilee on the eastern shore in an area called the Decapolis, and after this miraculous feeding of 4,000, which was probably 15 to 20,000 people, he crossed it, he crossed the Sea of Galilee, which was a common form of travel back then. Not only were they fishermen, but they, they used the lake as a, as, a, as a highway, you know, to get to and from places. They crossed over, they landed in a place called Dalman and there Jesus had an encounter with some Pharisees, and it was a... It was one of these confrontations. It was a test. They came out and they tried to tempt Jesus to sin by calling down a sign from heaven, which would have been a sin. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. Only thing I'm going to leave you with is the sign of Jonah. And, and, And really what he was saying there is, look, I know that you guys have an issue with me. And so if you have an issue with me, my teaching, especially the teaching about Gentiles and opening the kingdom of God up to Gentiles, to foreigners, not just Jews who weren't kosher, but foreigners who were deplorable in your eyes. Uh, you know, I know you got a problem with that. I, you know, I'm not going to give you any sign anyways, because you guys just have bad hearts. Now, there is also another meaning in that, in that phrase, the sign of Jonah, and that is that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and in its belly for three days, and then he was brought back to life, so to speak, when the, when the fish spit him up. Well, Jesus was buried in the tomb for three days and came back to life on the third day. There is that meaning as well. I didn't want to take that away. Some people had questions about that last week, but that does exist. That is a meaning in there as well. But I believe in the, in the, in the immediate moment when Jesus had this encounter that we talked about last week with the Pharisees, he really was zeroing in on their, on their uh, prejudice that they had towards other people. So they have this interaction, and then they get in the boat, and they cross the sea again. This time they go northeast up towards Bethsaida. And along the way, the disciples, and this is how we know the Bible's true, because the disciples who were men, they were young men, they were rummaging around the boat looking for food. It's very clear that the Bible is true, because that is exactly what young men do when they get into a boat. I've been fishing quite a bit in my life, and the first thing we all do is look for food when we're in the boat. So we know the Bible's true because it's giving us a real life account of what was going on. While they're in there looking for food, Jesus is disturbed. And he blurts out, Beware of the feast of the Pharisees, of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Now, I don't know about you, but I... I picture this in my mind's eye. My, my good friend Marty likes to talk about smelling the text. In other words, getting into it to a point to where you, you kind of can picture it, you can feel it. And when I smell this text, what I picture is Jesus in the boat, and this interaction with the Pharisees was actually fairly abrupt, and he was bothered by these people. And so they leave abruptly. They get in the boat, and I see Jesus in the boat, and I don't know if he was pacing or sitting, but I just see him sitting there, and he's just thinking about that interaction with the Pharisees. When I was a little kid, I used to go places with my dad, and my dad would drive and have full-blown conversations with people in his head while he was driving. i do the same thing, but I I watched him. He'd be driving, and he'd be like... You know, he wasn't talking, but he was hand gesturing as if he was talking to someone, and we all knew that he was having a conversation. I picture Jesus a little bit like that in the boat. I see him just in... in, in. I think he was bugged by the Pharisees. It bothered him that they would be so prejudiced, that they would be so hateful towards other people, so rejecting of them. They look at them, they were deplorable. That's, that's, that's how they felt about other people who weren't like them. And Jesus was, re, was repulsed by that. He gets in the boat, they leave. The Pharisees, they're, I mean, the, the, the disciples, they're there just looking for food. And Jesus is there stewing on what was going on. And he blurts out, beware of the yeast. You know, it's interesting. Yeast in the Bible. I had a person once ask me, why does God hate yeast? For those of you that have read the Bible... It seems to be like God has a problem with yeast. Um, Because it's often used in a negative context in the Bible, but not always. It's actually, in some cases, used in a positive context. The issue is not with yeast. I mean, the Israelites, the Jews, ate yeast. They did. They made bread. They baked it with yeast. They didn't just eat matzah all the time. They they used unleavened bread for certain ceremonial things and certain festivals. But the rest of the time, they ate regular bread like, like you and I would. In fact, you need yeast to make wine, and Jesus turned water into wine. He made wine. So it wasn't the, the yeast that was bad in and of itself, but it was, it, was, it was a way of God communicating to us a message. You know, when you talk to a child, sometimes you give them an analogy or an example so that they can make the connection. God does the same with us. When he speaks to us, he uses things we understand to make a point that is spiritual in nature. And so the idea, the idea of yeast in the Bible being a negative is, is, is that yeast, just a little bit, when you put it into a batch of dough, can work its way through that entire batch of, jo- of dough and cause it to rise and puff up. Well, sin is similar to the human nature. We just a little sin gets into us, it causes us to puff up in pride. And so that's the connection Jesus is making here. And the specific yeast that he was talking about in regards to the Pharisees and Herod was the yeast of unbelief. They rejected Jesus. They refused to believe in him. Not only that, but they spread their unbelief to other people. Faithlessness is contagious. Contagious. It's one of the reasons why we need, as Christians, to stick together. Because we exist in a culture, at any point in time in history, Christians have existed in a culture where the external forces around them are like yeast that are trying to infect them and lead them down the road of faithlessness. And don't think you're not being bombarded on a regular basis with a steady diet of faithlessness. Because you are. Our kids are being bombarded. We're being bombarded. The whole society around us is bombarding us with a faithless attitude and belief and a faithless belief, uh, um, a faithless view of Jesus Christ. And we need to stick together. It's one of the ways we help each other. It's one of the ways we protect each other. Because in our little world, in our little community, we can sort of, we can can control the message. We can keep our eyes on Jesus. We can stick to the scriptures. And we can call each other and help each other to remain faithful. That is a good form of yeast, of leavening. Faithful people can leaven other faithful people. And so we desperately, desperately need one another. It's why we came up with this idea of one church, two services. Last year, the Shoreline Church ran into some trouble. The Sini Church was just getting started, but we were sitting here, and and Gio and I connected, and, and we said, man, maybe we could help each other. Other people got involved. Leaders in both sides of the church got involved, and we decided to come together because we found that there's benefit. It's better to be together than it would be to separate. We can help each other. It's also why we spend a lot of time and energy trying to put these high school groups together, these junior high groups together, trying to get the campus ministry together, working on the singles ministry. There's still a lot of work to be done. None of this is perfected. But we really believe in the value of sticking together so that we can be there to help insulate each other from the faithlessness, the yeast of the world that wants to get in us and infect us. So the disciples, hearing Jesus blurt out, have no idea what's going on. Now, as a disciple, especially in those days, one of your jobs that was assumed if you were a a follower of a teacher, if you were a student of some master or a rabbi, was that one of your main jobs was to take care of their needs. And one of those needs would be to make sure there was some food around for the guy to eat. And so they took this as an an accusation by Jesus that they somehow weren't doing their job, that they failed, and they were already insecure about it because they were looking for food themselves. And then they were like, oh, we let him down. Look what we did. And so what do they start doing as soon as they realize that they let Jesus down? they start to blame each other. They start to find fault with each other. It's so funny that human nature is the same. The more we change, the more we stay the same. It's so easy when people are in a community and we're committed to sticking together to start finding fault with each other in the community. It's so easy to start nitpicking and, and, and uh, tearing one another down because you know, they're not, their kids are unruly, or, or they come into service late, or they do this, or they do that, and we find fault, or this person's too legalistic, or this person didn't talk to me with a friendly tone, and on and on and on it goes. I mean, we could go on and on and on all day long with the complaints that we come up with with each other, yeah. with and about each other. It's so vitally important that when those, when, when the, when those temptations come, when we, when we, in this new dynamic of being one church with two worships, in this new dynamic of being a a family together, it's so important that we fill the gaps with trust, that when we when we interact with each other, it may not always seem right. We may not, you know, it may not feel good to us in the moment, but we've got to be more mature and be able to handle that Fill the gap with trust, resolve any specific conflicts that may need to be resolved, but do it in an appropriate way between each other and not go around and talk to everybody else about it. It's vital to the cohesiveness of the group. This is what unity looks like. It's not uniformity. It's not that we all march and step and do the same thing. Unity is that we will fill the gaps with trust. We will give each other the benefit of the doubt, and where there's a wrong, we will seek to right it and resolve it. And then we will move on without gossiping, complaining, or being faithless about it. It's vital. So the disciples, they're they're nervous and insecure because they don't, they don't understand. They didn't understand Jesus' point. They thought it was about them. And, and this is the, the, where I want to go, because this is more to the point of this little story here. And I want to I park on this for a second. It's interesting to me to think about the disciples. They had been with Jesus for some two years now, traveled all over, seen him do amazing things, heard him say amazing stuff. They themselves had done some amazing things. They were witnesses to all kinds of incredible things. And they, who were eyewitnesses, who lived and and breathed and walked with Jesus in person, in the flesh, they themselves didn't understand his point. What chance do you and I have 2,000 years later in a completely different culture to really understand who Jesus was? It seems so hard to me when I think about that. Man, how did they miss it? They were in the boat with him. I mean, at least the, I, as a little kid, would watch my dad. I knew he was talking to someone. <laughs> I didn't think he was mad at me, and somehow they completely missed the com- the whole interaction. To the point that they thought he was talking about them. The fact of the matter is, and this is something that we've got to—it's got to resonate with all of us—is it takes work to let Christ be formed in us. We have to pay attention to Jesus. We have to to show up and be ready to hear him and and to to put ourselves in a frame of mind where we're ready, ready and willing to listen to what he has to say. And that does not happen on a diet only of Sunday sermons. That can only happen on a daily time with God. It can only happen when it's regular and consistent and deep. And so you have to spend time in the word of God, the blessing. The the beauty is that that we have the word, and it's given us enough of the information. And all we have to do is show a little bit of interest, a little bit of pursuit. And if we go a little deeper in there, we will uncover things in ways that we've never seen them before. Even the same passage, when we read it over and over, you read it every year and a couple times a year, and every time you see something new. If you're willing to go the extra mile. If you're willing to dig just a little deeper. A friend of mine said to me and I love this quote. If Jesus really is the bread of life, some of us have been trying to subsist on a low carb diet. And I think that's true for many of us. I think we fall into this trap. There is absolutely zero substitution for personal Bible study. Now, I think we have mostly adults in here. I think all the kids are out. High school, junior high, even the little ones are all out, right? Okay, so most of us are probably around the same age, except for John. He's a lot older than all of us, but most of us are around the same age. I'm a child of the 80s. I grew up in the 80s, junior high, high school, and in my opinion, I'm getting a couple of no's, but okay, most of us, Uh, but I loved the 80s. The 80s were awesome. They had the best music. We had the best movies. I mean, come on. Let's just be honest. It was awesome. And one of the best movies, one of the best movies in the 80s was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It was just on. I had to watch it. Bueller. Bueller. Yeah, Bueller. Yeah. It was just on. And I love the end scene when, when he sits, you know, where is it? He sits in a chair, or he's on his bed. He just gets home in time before nobody could catch him that he did school. And he's laying on his bed. He puts his hands up, and he says, you know, I said it once. I'll say it again. Life is short. Or life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around, you might miss it. And then he smiles, right? What a great ending to a movie. But it really is the point I'm trying to make. Jesus moves pretty quickly, guys. And if we don't pause and take the time to dig into God's word, we just might miss him. I cannot say it any other way. I've said it, I think, four different ways now. You have to have your own personal Bible study. Amen. Amen. Please, can we commit to that? Gio and I can pour our blood, sweat, and tears out on this stage, but we cannot form Christ in you unless you're willing to read the word of God for yourself and have him formed in you. Verse 17. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with the five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said, don't you understand yet? He asked them. I, uh, I, I think of parenting in this moment. Because how many of us with our kids, when they were little, do something wrong, and you just like rattle off five questions back to back to back that they can't answer, and you don't even give them time to trot. That's what happened here. Jesus was bothered with the Pharisees. And now he's bothered with the disciples. And he rattles off five or six questions in quick succession. Doesn't even give him a chance to reply until one of them. He was bugged by the disciples in this boat because they weren't picking up what he was putting down. I was trying to think of other clever ways. They, they weren't smelling what he was stepping in. I mean, what do you want to say? They weren't getting it over and over and over again. And finally, he's like, I am done with this. Do you not even understand? The short, the short response is this. Guys, did you not see me feed twenty to 25,000 people? And did you not see me feed fifteen to 20,000 people? i can make bread (laughs) you you, you actually don't even have to bring food anywhere we go because i can just make it but don't you understand you know what he's talking about here do you know what he's pointing out with them he was he was pointing out that they were not where they should be by this point in time two years into the ministry they should have been in a different place than they were but they weren't where they needed to be they were still tuned out they were still clueless they were still in la la land wondering about all kinds of things that were irrelevant and unimportant and caught up on other details they should have been farther along so here's the point message is short today here's the point and i want you to hear me because i am speaking to people that are Mature, mostly single adult and married adult people in this room. Many of us have been Christians for many years. I've been one 25 years, I think, going on. Some more, some less, some are newer. But the point is is the same for every one of us. And here it is. Please commit it to memory, and I don't want you to forget it. You cannot follow Jesus and remain the same. You can't do it. Unless you want him to chew you out with five questions in quick succession. <laughs> you can't do it. We all have to change. And I know some of us have been around a long time and we did a lot of changing years ago. And it's easy to think I did my change. I've made my changes. And you are so... You're no better than that genius trying to fool the country bumpkin. Your change may not be as rapid. It may not be as intense. It may not be as frequent as it was when we were younger. But those of us that have been the Lord for more than five years, we still need to change. We need to let him lead us. We We need to follow and go where he's taking us even if it's uncomfortable even if it wasn't our plan even if we didn't think it out in advance and have full warning and plenty of emails and and updates in advance we have to be prepared to let him lead us and change us into who he wants us to be that is the essence of spiritual formation that is the essence essence of becoming like christ and so wherever you're at young or old Change is coming. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. You may not know what that's going to look like for me, but it's inevitable for every one of us. Right. Two years ago, I was happily leading a ministry in the San Fernando Valley. I had, other than you know, personal, you know, interpersonal conflicts that are normal, I had very little things that I worried about. I was in a great church, a big church in the San Fernando Valley. It was the church I was baptized into 25 years ago. It was a church that I became a minister in. Everybody at 300 people in my ministry were all personal, close friends of mine. It was in a great place. And then I was asked to go to Simi Valley and start a church with 30 people. And I was like, well, that sounds easy. And, you know, honestly, it was, it, it's, in some ways it was. It was a lot smaller group of people. I went from 300 to 30 people. In the back of my mind, I'm like, why are they paying me? Like, this is, this is not the best use of resources here, you know. But that's where I went. And, and we started Simi Church, and six months into it, we get a call. Shoreline Church is asking for help. We get involved in that. And that 30 people turns into something like 250 on Sundays. I did not see any of that coming. That was not in the plan, that was not my, my doing, that was where it went. And you know what I discovered real quickly? I needed to change. I needed to change in every, at every level. And I appreciate those who God put in my life that are pushing me to change, but I fought with them and I've argued with them, and I've made mistakes, and I've had to go back and apologize, and I still will, and I still will do that too. Because the change is worth it. Where Jesus takes us and what He wants to make it turn us into is absolutely worth it. But it's hard. I'm going to ask the sister to come up right now. Her name's Karen Garces. While she's making her way up, I want her to share a little testimony about her life and about what she's been through in the last two years. But, you know, Karen and Gio have been forced to change every bit as much and probably more than I have, than my wife and I have. I don't know what changes God has in store for you, but I know they're coming. If you're not already having them, they're coming. And if you think you just got through one, it's coming again. Because we don't stay in one place when we follow Jesus, if you haven't figured that out. We've covered a lot of ground in our series. He's constantly moving. Yeah. And so we're going to be constantly growing, ever-changing, ever-matriculating down the road. But I wonder how, much of us, how many of us are just not willing anymore. We've really dug our heels in. We've really entrenched ourselves, and we're fighting with Jesus. We're fighting to make the change. I might have been there, and I got kicked out of it, and now I'm grateful, and I'm wanting to grow, and I'm wanting to change. Certainly, Gio and Karen were there. They were stuck there for quite a while, and they've been kicked pretty hard to get out of it. And so I want you guys to hear from Karen on behalf of her and Gio, and just listen to her testimony. And really, the goal here is to inspire you when God calls you to change. You have an example, someone you can think about. Wow, this is what she did. This is what I want to do. And and let God uh, lead us in that way. Amen. Karen, come on up and share with us. Give you this microphone. It'll get recorded. Okay. Well, it's funny because last I think it was a year and a
1: half ago, I was having these amazing prayer times on the hilltop, and I would go and pray, and I thought. (laughs) <laughs> Changed because it was hard, but yet I would have never wanted it any other way. Amen. Because I wouldn't be where I'm at now if it wasn't without God putting me through that. And I feel like I'm a different person now, but it's only because of God. Amen.
0: What is God wanting you to change? And are you willing to be changed? To not stay the same? The good news is this for, for Karen and for me, and for the disciples, and probably for all of you the good news is we're more like the country bumpkins than we are the genius. Our, 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 we're, 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 we're where we're at because of ignorance, not because we're intentionally thinking we're better than everybody else. It really does come from that place. The good news, it can be fixed. It can be fixed when we dig deeply and regularly into God's word. When we take the time to focus and tune into what he's teaching us, to, to pick up what he's putting down. That's the good news. And, and the even better news is that whatever the outcome is, It's better than what it was before. It's totally worth it. So I'm going to end like Ferris Bueller did. (laughs) I said it once, and I'll say it again. You cannot follow Jesus and remain the same. He moves pretty fast. If you don't stop, look, and listen, you just might miss him. Amen. out with one final song. So we can ask you to please stand.